I did not feel like I had a stroke while I was in dire trouble. But I got home that one day. I was kind of slurry in general. I went to bed trying to sleep it off. I didn't have to be up until 10 o'clock the next morning. And I could not fall asleep. I'm trying desperately to sleep and I'm exhausted and I can't move. And suddenly I awake and I feel the stroke roll through my head. I feel it come right across my forehead. It's a scary, scary, scary thought, trust me. And you just feel things go weird. I'm thinking that something is wrong. I'm in trouble. And I go to move my hand and I cannot move. I cannot move my left leg and I cannot move my right hand. My wife came in and I knew it was a stroke. I knew. I'm like, I'm having a stroke. I need help right now. So thankfully, the first person to get there was a police officer who told me to stay calm and relax. And then the ambulance got there and they got me there really fast. They got me some meds. The next day was a CAT scan. And when I did that, they were like, oh yeah, you had a stroke. I'm in the hospital. Every alarm in my phone was set to make me wake up because I was just afraid I would sleep through something. And the nurses are laying there in the hospital trying to turn off my phone constantly. It took me about a week to get the alarm finally figured out so the alarms would stop ringing. While I was still in the rehab hospital, there was a stroke victim support group. So I'm sitting in a room with other people who had had strokes. And as we went around the room and introduced ourselves and started to tell the story, every single one of us wound up in tears telling the story of their stroke. And I was like, oh, we have this coming up. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. A trans-ischemic attack, or TIA, is a mini-stroke that can often display similar symptoms to a full stroke and should be treated just as seriously. In many cases, a TIA can be a warning that you're at risk of suffering from a life-threatening or life-changing stroke at some point in the future. In this episode, we'll hear from Chris Sivert from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, who suffered a stroke at the age of 56. I had a blood pressure issue. I'm 56 years old. The challenge was when I turned 50, my wife said, now go to the doctor and get a checkup. It's paid for, just go. So I went and I'm sitting there with the nurse. I knew the nurse slightly and we're chatting and suddenly there's an alarm going off and she looks at my blood pressure as we're chatting and she looked at my blood pressure and she gasped and then she took it again, and then she took it again, and then she took it manually. And I realized that this is going to be a life issue forever. My blood pressure is high. And I was on Valsartan at the time. They were taking something, and I was trying to control it. So I was working like mad, and not sleeping, and working really hard. And so I was working on a very long bicycle documentary. They were doing a fundraising bike ride every year. They would ride from Albany to New York City. And I did that ride every year, and it was a very, very hard work. And I was sleeping not at all and getting up every morning, and I knew I'd had some problems. I knew I'd had an issue. I feel like, as in retrospect, I'd had a minor slope incident earlier that week because things just did not make sense to me, and I did not know I had been through it. I could not back time anything. If I had to be there at 10 o'clock, I could not figure out what time to leave. I, if I looked at my watch, I often could not tell time. If I put my hands in my pockets, I didn't know what was there. That was a challenge always. I was terrified always of sleeping through my call time, and I came right off the bike ride, and I knew I had issues. Driving home, my GPS trying to get me home that night was so frustrating because it's telling me turn right, turn left. And I could not do it. I could not figure it out. I barely made it home in one piece, frankly. So in the middle of that, I went to work. I was setting up a camera and I was slurry. I was really bad. And people were saying to me, are, man, are you okay? And I'm like, guys, I am exhausted. I have been on a bike ride for five straight days. I can't sleep. I can't move my hands. I'm in trouble. And they're like, okay, you're wrapped right now. Go home and sleep. That was my plan, was go home and sleep. Chris's TIA continued into the night and resulted in him having a stroke. I'm in bed, and I could not fall asleep. 
I'm trying desperately to sleep and I'm exhausted and I can't move. And suddenly I awake and I feel the stroke roll through my head. I feel it come right across my forehead. It's a scary, scary, scary thought, trust me. And you just feel things go weird. I'm thinking that something is wrong. I'm in trouble. And I go to move my hand and I cannot move. I cannot move my left leg and I cannot move my right hand. Now, after much therapy, I can tell my right from my left. So I know I could not move my right hand. So in that moment, I threw myself out of bed. So I go down the hallway and I'm feeling the stroke and I could barely make it to the chair. My wife came in and I knew it was a stroke. I knew. I'm like, I'm having a stroke. I need help right now. So thankfully, the first person to get there was a police officer who told me to stay calm and relax. And then the ambulance got there and they got me there really fast. They got me some meds. The next day was a CAT scan. And when I did that, they're like, oh, yeah, you had a stroke. I'm in the hospital. Every alarm in my phone was set to make me wake up because I was just afraid I would sleep through something. And the nurses are laying there in the hospital trying to turn off my phone constantly. It took me about a week to get the alarm finally figured out so the alarms would stop ringing. So that was my challenge was just working really, really, really way too hard. So that was the whole deal. And the next morning, there was a, a struggle to get my blood pressure down. And so I lay there for two days while they fed me stuff to try and get my blood pressure down. They did another CAT scan. They were confident there was no more bleed. And that was pretty much it. And then it's like, okay, let's start to turn it around now. We've had the stroke. Let's take stock. And every day was just a challenge of like, what do I know? What do I not know? Sitting with my therapist that day, the first day, was going through the sort of basic test. I could not remember the date. I remembered who was president on a pretty much daily basis. They would check me. I could not do simple math. Someone asked me if I had a dollar fifty, how many quarters would I need? And I could not figure it out. And my wife was sitting right there with me. And that's when I looked on her face and I knew something was very, very wrong because I can't do simple math. And it should be easier than that. Even to the point where the doctor would come saying, you know, you have to be bitten for your leg brace. I need a leg brace. I don't, I said, I don't need a leg brace. No, yes, you do. Your left foot is paralyzed. Now, every day I've been doing therapy where I've been walking, they would tie up my leg and I could walk on the walker every day. And uh, plus anything else, I was in a wheelchair the rest of the time. So since then, it's been a challenge trying to remember things, trying to remember people's names. The saga of my password on my computer has been epic. Trust me. It's written down in big letters and taped to my computer. Every day that I can open my computer and ask me for the password and I type it incorrectly is a great moment of success. Trust me. Those little victories are always epic. But, you know, the realizations of the limitation are very really significant. I was always an athlete. I did triathlons. I was a bike racer for a long time. And the other day it occurs to me, I can't swim. I can't move my right hand at all. My motorcycle will never ride again, probably. My bicycle, perhaps. I had an exercise bicycle in the house from having been a bike racer. And the two therapists, they manhandled me onto that damn bike and made my foot go around a couple times yesterday literally holding me up because my left hand is still paralyzed and I can't hold on. So she's holding me up just to get my legs to move. And it felt so good. I was so thrilled. I'm like, I could do this again someday. I can remember that uh, the first day when I was stood up after my leg had been wrapped, I could push on my right foot and it could push back. I could sense gravity and answer with enough muscle to stand up straight. And like, now I get it. My left hand feels things and pushes back. And before that, it was paralyzed. So I can feel this now. I will walk again. That's my hope. So everything has been a real big challenge, every single thing, and everything has been a hurdle to clear, and everything has been like suggestions of people and memories and things that make sense to you. It's kind of an amazing thing. So far in his recovery, Chris has made good progress. I think the therapists have all been wonderful, and I think they've worked really hard. Getting me back to a basic level and get me home with the insurance, I thought was really good. I do recall that coming home from hospital the first day, I was terrified because I knew I was going to have to go down those stairs, and I'm like, Going down my steps, I don't think I can do that. And finally, my wife explains to me, you are going to a therapy place and you're going to be there for a while until you're stable and we get the house finished. So I do the therapy every day 
on the computer. I sit with my iPad and there's a constant therapy that my therapist selected. It tells you what to do and I do it every day. And you know, the things that I can do that where it's simple math and it's remember the lights in, in right order and recognize things and stuff like that and read something and answer the right questions. And it's just a huge response that like my memory is sticking with me. I can remember things. I can sit and watch two TV shows. I can remember both channels and switch back and forth. And it's a good thing. There's a moment where I'm used to that. I mean, I remember that one day I had my iPad open, like somehow came across my demo reel and I showed it because I was kind of proud of it, frankly. The therapist looked at me, she goes, you know what's good about this? You narrate the whole de demo reel. You talk through it, there's a voiceover. Your speech is clear. She goes, that's what you can do. I know you can talk. We'll get you back to this. So after about five months, I think things are much better. When no one's looking, I will walk without a walker and I'm terrified that I'm gonna fall down, but I'm still gonna do it anyway. My challenge is to again, ride my bicycle I think I will have the balance of that, I hope. And then I was a drummer for a very long time. I've been played drums since I was about eight years old. There's a drum set in my basement. And once again, my lovely therapists, they got me downstairs and got me to sit on my drum set with the drumsticks held to my hands with rubber bands just to make me hit something on time. And they played music and I beat my drum and I hit a little bit. And they're like, this is how it's going to come back, Chris. You're going to do it. So that's the challenge. It's always one bit at a time. Chris was also able to access a local support group. While I was still in the rehab hospital, there was a stroke victim support group. So I'm sitting in a room with other people who had had strokes. And as we went around the room and introduced ourselves and started to tell the story, every single one of us wound up in tears telling the story of their stroke. And I was like, oh, we have this coming up. I mean, my memory is bizarre. I realized today because of Facebook that today is my wife's anniversary. Why? I got a picture of my wife's wedding dress on Facebook. And I'm looking like, oh, this is nice. I'm like, wait a minute, that's today. Today is your wife's anniversary. I didn't even know. Then things will hit you funny and your emotions will just go straight through and you'll be in tears before you know it. Oddly enough, at Thanksgiving, the holiday Thanksgiving, I was home. And for some reason, that movie The Martian was on television at least three days in a row. And watching that movie, I don't know if you're familiar, but a guy's stuck on Mars and he has to come home. And when they rescue him, I wept openly every single time I saw them rescue him. I was a disaster area. And I watched that movie three times in the same day, and I, I cried my eyes out each time. So the emotions are always there. You're very close to them, especially talking about the, the stroke. I think that's a very big challenge, always. And I think being in touch with that is a problem. And I think there's a lot of damage. I think the realization there's a little bit of maybe post-traumatic stress disorder all the time. Chris's experience of his stroke left him with partial paralysis, memory difficulties and emotional trauma, three very common after-effects of a stroke. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Chris on the value of friendship. You know, it's amazing stuff that, that comes out of the woodwork. One of my very good friends drove the whole day to sit with me and watch an Eagles football game, just to sit and chat because he wanted to see me. And the legacy of his stroke. My processor is too fast, frankly. I think everything too fast. I talk too fast. When I was first in the hospital, I bit my tongue constantly. I was in agony all the time because I would try to talk everything at a thousand times a minute. Let's hear more about one of Chris's long-term goals, getting back to work. I had lost a partner and lost a client and we were in big trouble. I had another partner who was going to leave the company and his company was a mess. And all of our people were in big trouble. And we're looking at each other like, we've got to get this saved. And I had one new person I was trying to develop who was an insurance agency. We had very good work, potentially. So we finally got the first job with a new client. And we're both going like, we could, this could save our lives. The fight was to then have the stroke. While I was still healing, my friend, Scott Aiken, he finished a project and built it out and got paid. And I got a check in the mail for a couple grand. 
And that was such a wonderful feeling where I'm like, you know what? If I had stayed healthy, I would have made this. We'd be back. We'd be working for him every day and we'd be okay. My challenge is to get back there. My friends work in media mostly, and we do a lot of studio webcasts for the TE Connectivity Company. And they do a lot of live stuff, a lot of live shows that are all sent live on webcasting. Their word to me is, get well, come home. We have work for you. And the message for, for the insurance company is the same. Get well, come home. We have work for you. And that's my feeling that I could be there. The challenge is just going through that stuff. Like, I must be able to drive. I must be able to move my right hand. Can I make this stuff work at all? That's a challenge every day. You know, can I sit and edit with one hand? I can't really edit with one hand. I need two hands really to do it. I love what I do. I would like to get back to it somehow. I've got to get healthy enough before it happens. Although Chris suffered enormous emotional pressure after his stroke, he found his friends were still there for him. The people who come out for you, that's an amazing challenge. Being your friend. You know, it's amazing stuff that, that comes out of the woodwork. One of my very good friends drove the whole day to sit with me and watch an Eagles football game just to sit and chat because he wanted to see me. And then my, my one partner who came to see me after a number of months, she drove all the way out from home. The big success for me was that while he was home, he took my camera home. Now, I own my camera. I think at one point, bankruptcy awaits, and I'm going to have to sell all that stuff off. But at this moment, possession being nine-tenths of the law, as we know that because my wife is an attorney, he took my camera home. So we're still trying to fight it. I would still like this to be my business, frankly. It would be really great if I could do a lot less work and still work some and say, I can't do this, I can, and pick and choose and make some money and do okay. And you can't let these things worry you and you can't let them weigh on your head. You know, I have been insulated from basically the American Express company calling me twice a day, every day, where my money is, to the point where my phone has been turned off so that I just can't get these phone calls to upset me anymore. You know, you can get upset enough to give your, put yourself into a stroke again. And then you have to think about that constantly. Like, I cannot get upset about this. And Chris has some recovery goals that he continues to work towards. At this point, my greatest challenge is my processor is too fast, frankly. I think everything too fast. I talk too fast. When I was first in the hospital, I bit my tongue constantly. I was in agony all the time because I would try to talk everything at a thousand times a minute. Now, the other day, one of the things that I've been using is I, I've been watching YouTube. I watch YouTube constantly because... I'm way watching things, one, because I get to pay attention, and the other thing is because I need to have these patterns back. One thing I had that I treasured were my stories. I could tell you stories all day long. My dad's a Lutheran minister, and he is a great preacher, and he can tell stories, and I've learned that my whole life. So trying to do it is something I'm proud of. And I just talk too fast all the time, and I've got to get my brain to function at a normal rate. I tap my foot for rhythm. You know, I try to keep things on a pace. I'm desperately trying to find the rhythm again and trying to not talk too fast. That's always a challenge. So YouTube is good. Talking to people on the phone is good. My dad bought me the collected works of Dr. Seuss. And then he's like, record yourself and read them out loud and then play them back and learn that you're too fast. So you slow down, you'll get your rhythm again. I have a manual espresso maker. My therapist who left at 8.30 today, we made espresso and I have not had a fit coffee, frankly, in five months until the coffee that I had right now sitting on my bench. I am so thrilled to death. But the things are so frustrating that you cannot do. Like, I cannot cook. My knife skills are crap, frankly. I can't move anything. I can't cut anything. And teaching my wife to cook, frankly, is a challenge to try and explain stuff. And your chance to show any kind of emotion or frustration, you cannot let it out. You've got to not get frustrated because it's so quickly you lose your temper and you go too fast too far. And I know the people around me who worry about me, and I worry about saying the wrong thing constantly. 
So those are challenges too to overcome. The, all things that I have to learn. It's a it's a, a huge daunting task. I feel I'm the same person most ways. I feel I'm much more emotional. I feel like I still want to tell stories. I lived for telling stories, and that's a challenge I still want to do. So I feel like it's still there. You know, I will just sit here. My therapist will sit sit with me and update her schedule, and I will just tell any story that comes to mind. Finally, Chris believes you should never be scared to reach out. If you feel something, get help. Don't work your way through it. I've been through it, and it's a mistake. Trust me, it's a recipe for disaster. Thank God I had not. I was not behind a car and trying to function in a, in the car while I was suffering the way I was, while you're just confused and you don't understand. That's the thing that happens. You spend all this time and you don't know what's wrong exactly, and you don't know why. So I would say get help. Any doubt, immediately go have your blood pressure checked and say you have a problem. Don't be afraid. If I had done that at the time, I don't know what would have changed. I would probably still have my right hand. I would probably be okay. I would not be fighting the long way back. So that's very important advice. I think patience and understanding is important. And I think celebrating those victories and understanding it and reveling in it and sharing it with your loved one is significant. My wife has been a rock through this. In the very beginning, I was asked how many quarters are in a dollar and I could not figure it out. And sometime along the path, I was working on therapy and Karen asked me the question again and I answered it correctly. And she said to me, you know, when you were in the hospital, they asked you that and you could not answer it. And that's when I knew you were in big, huge trouble. I knew we had a big, long road to come back. But now we've achieved that. So celebrating those victories are vital. When I texted my wife, my my right hand moves. She drove right home just to see my my finger twitch and celebrated that. And I think that was important. I think it was vital. Those are the things I think that stick with me most. Chris admits he still has some things to work on, but he's endlessly positive about the fantastic progress he's made and has no doubt that he'll one day return to work doing the job he loves. Please do subscribe to Stroke Stories and rate and comment on the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and you'd like to share a story with us, please contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. <laughs>